Um, we continue. Uh, we're actually getting close to wrapping up the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 6, which is the last chapter. Um, I think it's been, uh, for me, um, a very valuable study, very worthwhile study. Um, but this last section, Paul, he addresses it kind of as I would call a wrap-up to everything else that he's said. Paul has reminded us in Ephesians that we are sons and daughters. We are family of God, that we share one Lord, one faith. We share one baptism, one spirit, and one glorious hope that we have actually just sung about. Paul has also encouraged us to protect the unity of the church of God uh, to be diligent in preserving the peace and the unity within the church and to walk in a worthy manner as individuals in the context of our marriages, in the context of our homes, and in the context of the workplace, that in all of these areas, which pretty much is all of life, that God's desire is that we would be a source of light within this world that we would truly be, as a church and as people, as homes, families, we would be the sweet fragrance of Jesus to our world. And I'm going to focus this morning on just two verses uh, from Ephesians chapter 6. I think for me, they help form what I would call a Christian perspective of life, um, a Christian, you might say, worldview, and there's something about the language in here that I think people outside of the church might say, man, I've got real difficulty with some of the language in some of these verses, but I believe that what Paul talks about, our world outside of the church actually acknowledges as being true, they just sometimes use different language. Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 12, a final word, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That verse, I think within the context of everything that I may say this morning, is the truth that Paul wants to speak into our life. The strength is never going to be Ours, it's never going to be strength that we have somehow managed to muster that's going to bring us through life. It's going to be the Lord and in his mighty power. For our struggle, Paul says, and in other translations, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, or the conflict or struggle is not about flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I want to say again that we cannot overemphasize the truth of verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's really, I want to say, you might say, Doug, you've left out verse 11, which talks about putting on the armor of God. And I really haven't left it out. I actually want to save it for the next conversation. But being strong in the Lord and the power of his might is what the armor of God is all about. 
And I think that in all the things that Paul has talked about in the first five chapters, Paul acknowledges that in order to walk in a worthy manner, we need to acknowledge God, rely on God, and be willing to walk in obedience to him because life is a bit of what I will call a spiritual wrestling match. It's a reminder, I think, to us that other voices, other influences seek to speak into our lives. They clamor for our attention. They clamor for our hearts and minds. And we do at times have a tendency to find security, confidence, strength in the things we have accomplished or perhaps in the things we have accumulated But Paul says those things are actually powerless to address the spiritual battle for our hearts and minds. So Paul reminds us, I think, about what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, that we need to understand there is a conflict at play. And Paul says in the middle of this battle, which is a spiritual battle. There is strength, there is truth, there is clarity, and there is victory to be found when we acknowledge God and embrace the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection have given us the victory in this battle. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I want to say that is quite a statement, that verse. And many outside of the church would scratch their heads at this kind of language, and they might say, you know what, this is kind of where you lose me. It seems a bit out there. And the truth is, it is. And we need to admit, I think, even as Christians, that we don't fully understand this verse. Who are these evil spirits in the heavenly places? When Paul refers to the mighty powers of this dark world, is he referring to the heavenly realms, or is he actually addressing the evil within the earthly kingdoms of this present world? Evil people, evil rulers, evil regimes. And I would contend that our society does understand this struggle. They simply use different words to describe it. And as children of God, we understand this realm, I want to say, only in part. But we acknowledge that it exists, and we embrace the truth that ultimately this is a battle that Jesus has won on our behalf. And yet as Christians, this spiritual wrestling match remains part of our experience. The spiritual struggle, however you want to phrase that, is part of our experience. And every day, I think Paul says, we need to be mindful about the fact that there is a battle and we need to be engaged in it. And Paul says, you don't fight spiritual battles with physical might. 
You don't fight spiritual battles with military defense. So while the analogy later on is kind of a military one, the weapons we use are not. That you fight spiritual battles with truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, the word of God, feet that bring peace, and you fight spiritual battles through prayer. And I know I just talked there a bit about what the armor of God is, and I want to talk more about that uh, likely on the 17th. And I think that in terms of a battle, this arsenal, truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, may seem a bit odd. But they represent weapons that cannot be seized. They represent weapons that cannot be overpowered because they represent the power of God on our behalf. And Christians, for the most part, understand this concept that faith itself embraces the reality of things that we do not see. I think some have taken this passage to what for me can at times be questionable places. It has fostered, I would say, warfare terminology, warfare practices, sometimes warfare uh, language and techniques that I think in a way have done a disservice at times to the cross of Christ and the victory of the empty tomb. How we choose to phrase this spiritual battle in our lives, I think requires careful discernment. Lest we put our faith in techniques or strategies or practices to fight a battle that God says has already been won on our behalf. That we can become so preoccupied with the enemy that we forsake the truth that Jesus has already become our victory. I think the secular world would acknowledge that some sense of a moral or ethical struggle exists and that it seems to be common to man. They would likely avoid describing it as a spiritual issue or having a spiritual cause. They might phrase this battle in terms of contrasts within our world, good versus evil, integrity versus corruption, justice versus injustice, love versus hate, generosity versus greed. The world, I think, would say these forces seem to exist both in our world and within our lives. And I think people do at times kind of dream of a world where good would actually triumph over evil, where equality and justice would prevail, where charity would replace selfishness. So I think in a very real way, the secular world completely understands this human dilemma. They don't like to call it a spiritual issue. The Bible says that that's what it is. That the human condition is a spiritual one. And at its core, it involves God, 
and our response to him and his existence and acknowledging what God has to say about us, about who we are as people. Our culture, I think, sometimes phrases the spiritual aspect of life as an inward journey. A journey to find one's true heart, one's true self, however you phrase that. In fact, I think not yesterday, but I think a week from Saturday, there was a speaker in Creekside uh, talking about this, and um, it was phrased in her um, headline about talking as about a journey of self-love. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what her message was, and part of me uh, wished that I would have actually been there to hear what she has to say, but it speaks about the world often trying to find spiritual truth, wholeness, healing by looking inside. A Christian perspective would say that the journey, the spiritual journey to find inner healing, inner wholeness, meaning, and identity requires us to look for something outside of ourselves, something so much bigger than who we are. It involves acknowledging God. It involves humbling ourselves before the creator of heaven and earth. It requires that we by faith say, yes, I believe that God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, whose intervention in this spiritual conflict has allowed me and you to become children of God. To ignore God within this spiritual struggle leaves man, woman, to lean on what the Bible would say is their own understanding. If you take God out of the picture, we are pretty much left with leaning on our own understanding. That perhaps as civilized people, we will finally make sense of things that seem to be so intangible. That you, in fact, adopt the belief, the hope, the faith that man himself will one day make this a better world. That one day man will somehow figure out how to deal with our own imperfections. That one day peace, harmony, love, and the inherent goodness of man will prevail and the world will be a better place. And I want to say that in spite of all the good that is done, I'm not sure there is much evidence that man is making much progress on his own in the spiritual struggle. We do celebrate great strides in science, technology, research, development, Yet we seem to be so powerless as a human race in addressing the spiritual reality of who we are as people. And the battle is far greater than creating better systems or better institutions. That research is not likely going to solve the struggle between good and evil. That there is something about the human condition that we cannot fix, and that's because it's a spiritual battle. Paul refers to it, he says that's what it is, and it is ever present. It is, I would say, the invisible struggle 
played out in the reality of our lives and in the systems of this world. I came across a, probably three weeks or, or maybe a bit more, a blog, and the blog came out of the context of a TED Talk. Uh, those of you familiar with TED Talks, it's kind of like a forum where the thinkers of this world share ideas. Uh, I, when I thought about that, I thought Paul would probably have found a way to get himself on the platform and he would have used it as a springboard to speak on behalf of the Christian faith and the Christian worldview. Paul actually was very comfortable sitting with the thinkers of the day and speaking to the truth of the gospel. And I want to say that the initiator of this blog raised the question, this is not a Christian blogger, raised the question of whether there was a force at play in our world and in our lives that we don't understand, but whose existence is as real as other forces which we maybe have learned to harness in ways that have improved the quality of our lives. And he raised the possibility of a spiritual force, and that's the word, the term he used, at work in our world. And I thought it was interesting that almost immediately somebody responded to that blog because they objected to the word, word spiritual. That somehow this blogger was trying to sneak God or Christianity in through the back door of the discussion. But the blogger said he used the term spiritual because the force was not visible. It's unseen. Yet it seems to manifest itself in attitudes such as greed, injustice, corruption, inequality within our world. Attitudes that stand in contrast to things such as love, justice, equality, generosity, integrity, values that even our society would hold up as being ideals worth striving for. You know, he was really raising the question, why do we seem so powerless to right the wrongs, the injustices that we see all around us? And I think that this blogger, in his own way, was talking about exactly what Paul is talking about that there are spiritual forces at play which are unseen. There are spiritual forces at play in our lives and in a broader context within our world. Granted, I would say it's a spiritual realm into which at best we see through a bit of a dirty mirror or a foggy lens we don't fully understand it, yet we know it exists because we feel it in our own lives. People who disregard faith may simply say, you know what, I kind of think I know what you're talking about. I don't really get it, but it is what it is, and I prefer not to think about it. We, even I think within the Christian church, are somewhat conflicted people that we live in a way somewhat conflicted lives. And that's why I think Paul 
uses terms like things we wrestle with, things our struggle is. He understands, I think, that our life is, in many ways, a Christian battle. We do things we should not do. We think things at times we should not think. We struggle with things in our life that we might say, I, I, I should have the victory over that, yet I struggle with it. Why can't I put this battle to rest? I think that's the spiritual battle that Paul is addressing. It's not only out there, it's manifest in our own lives every day. And I think the enemy of our soul, sometimes the Bible calls, calls him the accuser, loves to raise this question and whisper it in our ear. You're a hypocrite. This God thing doesn't really work. You're a failure. At times, even within the church, we have a tendency to listen to that voice. And the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel is that God intervened in my life and into your life for exactly that reason. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That Jesus paid an enormous cost in order to secure for us a spiritual victory we could not and cannot achieve on our own. So Paul says, be strong. Where? In the Lord and in the power of his might. And in this daily battle, in this walk, I'll call it a walk of perseverance. In these somewhat conflicted lives that we lead, we need to embrace the reality of Jesus Christ. We need to embrace the forgiveness of the cross, and we need to be reminded of the victory of the empty tomb. That in this battle, Jesus is our victory. That Jesus was my victory when I got up this morning. Jesus will be my victory as I walk with him through this day. And tomorrow, when I wake up, Jesus will be my victory. I think it's this kind of faith that the writer of Lamentations knew. And it's a bit of a strange title for a book. Lamentations is a bit of a lament. But these verses... I think speak to the reality of what it means to look at God as the source of our victory. 3 verse 22, 23, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. And I just say, God, would you by your spirit speak that truth? into my life every day. So yes, I think the real struggle in our life is unseen. And our enemy is predominantly an invisible one. That there is a real unobservable battle within the heavenly or spiritual realm that manifests itself in the lives of people. But I want to say again as a church, ultimately this battle has been won it's been one for you. It's been one for me. And this morning, as I think about it, I think Paul would say, you know what? As individuals and as a church, 
we have a role to play in representing God in this spiritual battle within Lake Country. It is God's desire that the church be engaged in this struggle, that we have been given a high calling of representing the gospel of Jesus Christ within Lake Country. Ephesians 3, verses 10 to 12, so a few chapters before this, Paul actually made reference to the same thing. His, God's intent was that now, through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And he says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I want to say I don't understand everything that that verse just said. But the verse actually implies that the church of God speaks into the heavenly realms. That the church of God speaks into this battle. And as a church here within the beautiful community of Lake Country, I think God calls us to be engaged in this spiritual battle as beacons of light, as voices of hope, feet of peace and through the power of prayer that we would pray for our church we would pray for our community I want to say this morning God has given us everything we need for this battle the truth of God himself creator of heaven and earth that truth to me spread out on my drive to Lake Country, the truth of his reality within this world. He has given us righteousness, not of ourselves. He's given us the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. He's given us faith. And if you read the Bible, it says, even faith is a gift of God that he's given to us. Salvation, that God has poured out his salvation to us through Jesus Christ. He's given us the word of God, which is inspired through the spirit of God himself. And I think with all of these resources, and you know, in that verse 11 that I did not read, these are, this is the armor of God we take those resources and we're called to interact with the world in which we live with shoes that carry peace. I think that just means lives that speak peace into our community and through the power of prayer. And in this struggle, God says, I offer you life and I offer it to you more abundantly. In this struggle, I offer you forgiveness. Don't carry weights and burdens that you don't need to carry. I offer you forgiveness and freedom in this battle. In this struggle, God offers his love as our father. And he offers us an eternity in which this battle no longer exists. No pain. No sickness, 
no sorrow, no more struggle. That's the one glorious hope that each one of us has waiting for us. And I want to say this morning as a church, this is a battle worth fighting for. Because the ultimate outcome is not in question. So I want to say, don't lose heart. Embrace the victory that Jesus has won on our behalf. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's pray. Father, I just I give you thanks that you have in every way become our victory. Father, I pray that we would learn as children of God how to live more and more in the victory that you have won for us. God, at times when we hear other voices that want to accuse us or take us down or ridicule us, Father, may we embrace the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of the cross, and the victory of the empty tomb. Father, help us as we learn and continue to figure out that battle each day of the week. And Father, we give you thanks that we, we have a hope that is not in vain. We do not have hope in the sense that the world does. We have hope that is the assurance that what we hope for will in fact be our destiny, our eternity with God. Father, I just pray the encouragement of the Spirit of God into each of the lives in front of me this morning. God, I pray it for my own life. Allow us to celebrate the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.